0: You can find us at bandlibrary.com, Twitter at bandlibrary, wherever else librarians get together. My name is SD Harker, librarian and writer. You can find me on Twitter at bandwriter. If you want to help out the library, become a friend of the library over on Patreon, patreoncom library. It's been a bit of an interesting week at the library. There was a sickness, and then some. Well, downer events. Let's talk about the sickness first. Have you ever seen a public library after a rancid bout of flu took over the community? You haven't? Pray to all that is holy that the sight never comes to your door. Pray to whatever god, gods, or endless void you believe in that the abomination found in our bathroom never occurs within a country mile of where your loved ones live and breathe. Imagine, if you will... The pie-eating contest from Stand By Me, contained in a small 500-square-foot room with only two working sinks and a single-floor drain. Even the ceiling wasn't spared. If you have seen such a sight, well, you must have worked with the public for more than six months. The public bathroom, library, or restaurant, or any other place is never spared. Howard suffered due to a particular evil bout of flu passed around the past few weeks. Brenda went on a weekend plane trip to St. Olaf, Wisconsin to visit relatives, going back, sitting next to a sweaty man with a live monkey in his jacket. Nobody asked if he was supposed to have the monkey on the plane, but Brenda apparently asked to hold the thing. Went a little wild and scratched her, and then the man bit her. From what we can figure, the monkey and the man are making a full recovery after Brenda went all, Bad ape from Congo on their asses. Fun fact, Brenda's favorite movie is Michael Crichton's Congo, although that does change. Anyway, long story short, Brenda got us all sick with some kind of virus from that guy on the plane. That's a lesson for you. Don't let strange men on planes bite you while you try to handle their monkey. Patricia went down pretty quick, catching the virus as soon as Brenda walked in the door. She hit the floor and started convulsing. A brown substance coming from her mouth and parts unknown. We called an ambulance, but Patricia told us to fuck off between screams. The last time we saw her that day, she had called her wife. Was outside, waiting on the curb smoking a cigarette and decorating the concrete with her bile. Two days later, she walked back in the library. Dave from IT went down next. He and Brenda were working on a special computer project. It has something to do with security, I don't know, but they told me between bouts of screaming diarrhea that they would tell me later. Oh, Brenda was the last to go down, after Chris, Kara, and Freddy... Friday, I ran the library by my lonesome, closing early to tell people they could go home or be infected. The most ran when I started coughing blood on the circulation desk and drawing symbols for banishment. That gets people moving, you know. Now I am feeling better, however, so here we are. And speaking of getting better, getting moving, this week's book is This Day in June written by Gail E. Pittman, Ph.D., and illustrated by Christina Lytton. I think that's how you spell her name, or pronounce her name. Gail Pittman grew up in suburban New Jersey, which means she in no way has ties to mobsters. Stop telling people that. Many great people come from New Jersey, like Kevin Smith and Snooky. so we can all stop telling people that every Gail Pittman that comes around is a mobster in training. Writing children's books to appeal to the mobster and all of us. In the nineteen nineties, Ms. Pittman moved to San Francisco, city so nice they named it once and told everyone who calls it SF to go fuck themselves. There she worked on promoting third wave feminism, which is characterized by Gen X's feeling of inclusiveness and diversity and a bunch of other stuff, as well as sex positivity. This included her being part of the Dyke March and Lesbian Avengers. By 2001, she headed to San Francisco, California, home of the sacraments, and started writing while working as a clinical psychologist. She teaches psychology and women gender studies at Sacramento City College. Go Panthers! She still writes and teaches, including publishing in School Library Journal, The Advocate, and a bunch of other places. So that's the writer, the big name who got her words on the page. However, she's only part of the duo, albeit a part most people put in the source notes because most style guides don't have a place to cite illustrators. Everybody wants that writing credit. Here's a hint. Just put it as if the person is another author. See the sources on this page. There's less information on illustrator Christina Lyddon, either because she's private, she's Scottish, or I'm bad at research. She was influenced by books and animation from her mother's homeland in Eastern Europe. Right out of the gate, she was nominated for back-to-back Macmillan prizes for her first books, Flint's Old Socks and Chicken Can't See in the Dark. Currently, she lives in Yorkshire, England, and that's all I know about that. So why are we here? Me? i run out of professional options. You? I don't know. Boredom mixed with an odd amount of curiosity and masochism. You do you. We're talking about this day in June, however, because it showed up on ALA's 2018 Top 11 Band and Challenge Books at number 10. The three incidents I found included Texas, Illinois, and Iowa. Texas did the usual. Gays are bad, and they scare us with their happy living. Some conservative parents in Chicago could not keep their three-year-old from picking up books, so they wanted it moved to the adult section, where three-year-olds are barred by lasers from entering. This sparked a big library board vote in Chicago, where a shitload, as a technical term, of people showed up. Finally. More conservatives in Iowa got scared to see that gay people had made it to Iowa for some reason, wanting the books thrown out. One guy got so scared, he checked the books out and burned them live on Facebook. This Avenger of Freedom, or whatever, was then ordered to pay back most of the cost of the books after being charged with a misdemeanor because you can't publicly burn public property. Other people around the United States saw this idiot burning books thought, well, this is Nazi Germany, and sent money to replace the burned items. So I hear you ask, the hell is so dangerous about this book The people didn't want their three-year-old conservatives to touch it? Wasn't this book could be so harmful that it would require fire to defeat, as if it were some old monster? There's a side note. I would watch a movie called Abbott and Costello Meet This Day in June, a couple of old comedians asking why they can't tell problematic jokes anymore. Running from a toddler with a picture book. It would be great. Someone give me money. I digress. This book is honestly one of the best books for positive information I have ever read. No joke. It's amazing. First of all, the illustrations are clean and bright. Making it a delight to read no matter what joke I make up about pigeons in the next... 20 or so minutes. Second, this book is as informative as fuck. In the back, appendices or whatever, there's a whole corresponding list of information backing up the simple words and illustrations seen in the majority of the book. So you can read it and you know, look at the pretty pictures, and then tell some hardcore history to your child. Or your conservative adult grandma who just likes it when Ellen does her dancing and doesn't get why chick-fil-a is so bad it's not because they're closed on sunday grandma although that really doesn't help much the book is so well done as an educational tool that's how i've chosen to talk about it first i went right through and made impressions of the art and the images the simple text in each page then i use the information in the back to make my dumb thoughts actually have some meaning and some structure while we talk about the book I'm going to pull from page to page so you know where I'm at. Also, I have to give props to the structure of this book. By organizing it as a parade, it lays out the examples and information in a super clever way. I really just love this book. Here we go. Oh, shit. So I totally forgot to write down my impressions of the cover of the book. To write off the bat, I have failed you but I did a Google image search because this is the end. This is the fucking 20th century, so... Yeah, it's not my favorite book color, cover of all time. It's pretty damn busy, which is fine for a children's book. There's lots of diversity, a girl holding a balloon, kids, old people, all different colors, and dye jobs. Except from far back, if you're looking at it a ways away, the title gets a little lost. People are holding up the letters of the title on cards with white backgrounds, which helps. But it's just a little off, a little blurry, a little weird. They just mix in with the people so well. The bright red background does draw the eye, though. And I'm no art major, so take my thoughts with as little bullshit as possible. And then the first page comes along. This day in June, the parade starts soon get that title drop right up front. We know we're reading, so suck it where the wild things are. There's a big street, people on motorcycles, and people in a window holding signs, with a rainbow made from balloons stretching from building to building across the street. We're told June is for pride, going from the 1968 Stonewall riots, a three-day protest against New York City police for false arrests, and the beginning of the gay liberation movement. So of course we'd start the book that way. And it's, like I said, very clever the way they do this. It's all structured as if these people are passing by. Turn of the page, we get rainbow arches, joyful marches, more windows, more people in them, as well as people waving flags. There's also some sky rats, my granddaddy's word for pigeons. He used to run after them in the park. Chasing them with a stick, yelling, Bring back my friends, you sky rats. Never knew what that was about. We get information that the rainbow flag was a symbol for the LGBT community, representing diversity with different colors. Red means life, orange healing, yellow sunlight, green nature, blue harmony, and purple. That's spirit. There's that fucking thing as violet, by the by. Got into it. Interesting conversation about that. They just wanted to make some shit up for the end, so guess what? Pilot, not a thing. Moving on. Motors roaring comes up, and while I'm all for people digging riding motorcycles, there is a clear disregard for California Vehicle Code Sanction 27803, which requires all motorcycle drivers and passengers to wear a helmet when on a motorcycle, motorized bicycle, or motor-driven cycle. The law further requires helmets. By making it illegal for a helmeted person to ride with a driver who is not wearing a helmet. I don't know if this is just because it's parade, but come on. Be safe. Also, there's a pigeon up front and center. And it just kind of freaks me the fuck out. It's like staring right in my soul. As if to ask, what's going on in there? I hate it. Dirty sky rat. This page... It digs into Pittman's past as it represents Dykes on Bikes. Or I think she was, what did I say she was part of? The Dyke March. Oops. Okay, a little bit different, but it's still the same thing. It's taking the word back, basically. And this happens a lot in the community. Uh, reclamation of the term, it's offensive to lesbians. So, they use it in their marches. They, You know, it's, it's a, you can't call us that, but we can. Really well done. It also allows motorcycles to be used as a form of femininity and visibility. To so get used to having us around, all hot and bothered. You could say it. Seriously, though, they should be wearing helmets. I mean, I'm completely fine with anybody wearing, you know, riding motorcycle, but my dad was in Iraq. Be safe. That's all I'm saying. After motorcycles have passed, we get voices chanting, doggies panning. Now, I love this page. There's tons of diversity, people walking. There's an Asian mom with her two sons, clearly proud to be walking with them. It's just heartwarming. Yet, there's only about five dogs panting. Why not everyone having a dog? I mean, it's great and all, but do we really just need the rhyme? Seems extra when we learn some heavy shit from the activist side of things, such as the fight to remove homosexual from the uh, diagnostic something DSM. Or Jean Manford marching with her gay son and creating P flag for familial allies. Or dropping heavy bombs such as the 1980s AIDS awareness and later decades of repeal for don't ask, don't tell. And then the struggle for marriage equality that is still going on. And I get now why dogs are needed here, but why just five? Why not a ton? All that heavy shit. Let's let's have like twenty. Everyone needs a puppy hug on this page, damn it. Okay, for this next page, I have to admit something. I grew up watching Police Academy movies. Not the first one, because that one had boobs, and my mom didn't know I watched that one. But followed them all the way up till Mission for Moscow, which might have been the first time I realized that movies could be just horrible things. Why am I telling you this? Well, see, there was a running gag in the Police Academy movies. I think it's up to the fourth one. Where they go in a bar called the Blue Oyster. At least once a movie, someone would find their way into the bar and be forced to dance to El Bimbo, a tango song with the bar's leather-clad men. Growing up, I thought this was weird and funny as hell. Since I've not seen *Police Academy* movie in over twenty years, I can't say if the joke works with my like adult sensibilities and brain and you know it's a different time now, all that kind of stuff. But I'm gonna apologize nonetheless because my mom, ma- my small Mississippi town, growing up, that's the first connection I had to overt gay men. Things changed very quickly as I grew up, but still, when I see pages like and ones we're talking about men. Women clad in leather, perfect weather. Well, it just brings images to my mind and my history. And also, it's got to be really fucking hot, right? I mean, June in San Francisco, I've been there. Actually, I was there for Pride in like 2015, somewhere in there. And it was warm. You can be wearing leather. And even on this page, there's umbrella, which means it's bright and sunny. And it just can be comfortable to be wearing leather in that sunshine. Gotta smell a little bit, but the information tells us that after World War II, gay men used leather jackets, same way that women or lesbians used motorcycles, promoted visibility. But they were also fighting the stereotype of being feminine. You know, gay men or have that feminine whatever. No, they were wearing leather and being badasses. And later, because like I said, leather and motorcycles go together. Lesbians also adopted the look to promote visibility and feminism. So basically, you can call me what I am, I am what I am. Very Popeye of them. Now this next page confused me to no end. Artist painting, sister saining. Doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, artist paint, sure. I get that one. I'm no dummy. This is it's just a super bold couple of pages. There's trans and religious imagery, which is great. Probably the most diverse page so far diverse that was a fun way I said that there's even a blue person which I don't think is okay because fuck I mean I think that's dead people right someone's blue I mean it's just you can me on that one I don't I'm just saying most people aren't born blue but you, you do you you gotta do yeah but when dead people march it's usually bad that's pop culture telling me that though so who knows but for real the sisters' Sainting part is just a weird line. It doesn't really work, and it almost makes my lips show up. Until you read the supplemental information about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which I had actually heard about. They are an order of LGBT nuns formed in San Francisco in 1979. They use exaggerated makeup and habits to engage in outreach to gain acceptance of the community, which is awesome. And bar none, this page would have me reading for hours online. I'm probably going to look up more and more into this because I just kind of love this idea. But it's very strange on the outside. It looks very just odd when you turn the page from, you know, the leather leather daddies and whatever else to, you know, strange nuns and blue people. (laughs) So back to some normal parade shit. There's banners swaying, children playing. Pink is dominating this next page. It's just all over the place. Made me feel a little sick, honestly. I can only imagine... Maybe I have some kind of autonomic response. This much pink. time I drink half a bottle of Pepto, trying to fight a bit of a Ghibli tummy. I vomited all over my cat. little bastard Then he ran around the apartment, spraying pink ramen noodles and chicken soup all over. It's just gross and really something I wanted to forget and just can't seem to. What you should never forget is the pink triangle. See, it was a symbol of pride carried over from the Holocaust. The Nazis, they made gay men wear a pink triangle. Lesbians had to wear a black triangle. Much like how the Jews were made to wear the Star of David. It's a symbol and a reminder of a horrible time when people were treated as objects. Things to be killed and slaughtered. Bit of a mood flash, but hey. Some of this is touchy stuff and I gotta catch you off guard somehow, right? Next, we get the biggest lies of them all, dancers jumping, music pumping. I think this is a sort of a holdover from the 12 days of Christmas or something, because there's only one radio, so the music's not exactly pumping, nobody's really jumping, and there's just a float in the middle with like an enchantment under the sea kind of theme. It's kind of magical, I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty float. It really has nothing to do with dancers or music, besides maybe a callback to Marty McFly and Back to the Future, which I will admit I will always accept. The text tells us that the arts have always been an acceptable place to be gay, cross-dressing and other gender expressions or common themes for hundreds of years. Though it is kind of nice. I mean, it's a good idea. It's just kind of odd. And now we have the sidewalk shaking and tummies aching. Which makes me think of earthquakes. And my cat. It is San Francisco after all, so sidewalk shaking are no laughing matter. I remember it was in '94 with the big earthquake, that one bridge the collapse. It's scary thinking about that. But I guess we're all good with the marching band and cheerleaders on the page. It is a parade after all. Can't let the marching men not march. That's what they do. Except on the sidewalk, there's these three kids who look little grumpy assholes. And there's these other kids that are eating ice cream, and I guess their tummies are aching because they ate their ice cream too fast, but it's just a weird detail, like the pigeon from before staring into your soul, and I just don't understand it, why it's here. Do we need to know that not everyone is happy to be at this parade? The text tells us that several ways have been taken to create and accept gay family members, including children of lesbians and gays everywhere, collage, for people who have LGBT parents, as well as gay straight alliances and schools. But this made me wonder why we needed people with tummy aches to learn about this, you know, outreach. It's just very strange. It's on. Next page is great and a little weird Painted Ladies Crying Babies. First look, I had no idea what any of this meant. It's mostly a political thing, it's people walking around and You know, they're in their politics sort of looking gear. Some women, but nothing I would call painted ladies. Then I turn to the back of the book and the information hits me like a ton of bricks. San Francisco is the home of Harvey Milk, first openly gay man elected to public office in California and home of the Castro, the largest gay neighborhood in the world. So, of course, politicians crying babies. There's a link there. It's a hop, skip and a jump in a link, but it's there. But what's also in San Francisco? I told you before, I'd been to San Francisco. I know this fucking area. You know what's there? Buildings in the back of the picture. They're called the Painted Ladies. You also may know them as the house from the beginning of the TV show, Full House. They're called the Painted Ladies. And fuck, I've been there. I've stood in front of that shit. Forgot all about them. Goes to show you you can always look at the full image of something. Next pages. Fancy dresses, flowing tresses. This is right in my wheelhouse. I love this page. Spot on Mardi Gras type atmosphere. Not pure New Orleans. More like the tameness of Mobile, Alabama, which is actually some of my... Don't tell anybody. Either go down to the bayou like Houma and go to one of their parades or go to like Mobile, Alabama. Go to New Orleans once, sure. Do their Fat Tuesday, do their Mardi Gras throughout the months. It's great. It's fun. But it's a little much. There's too many people in there. But there is outlandish dresses. And I've honestly kind of missed it moving out here west. Nobody seems to know how to party in the street here. You can't even have an open eye container of alcohol without somebody getting all pissy about it. And there's some information that says... Well, some folks disagree with the wildness, the outlandishness. They say it's too stereotypical. It paints the movement in a bad scene. Makes people think that's the way they gay men and women act but those in dresses are having too good of a time to give a shit so who gives a shit what those party poopers are thinking you know what i mean loving kisses so delicious I have some of the most heartwarming yet kind of alarming information pages are just delightful couples are holding hands kissing riding bicycles built for two So we learn same-sex marriage information is super troubling. have a history of the Defense Against Marriage Act in 1996, which defined man-and-woman partnerships as marriage. That was overturned in 2013, as well as California's Proposition 8. Since the copy I had was published in 2014, it didn't have the overturn of those in the Supreme Court in 2015, but let's hope newer editions do. All invited, all excited, Contains some feet and shoes and roller skates and a shitload of litter. Sorry, I spent time cleaning up after parades and I always see the confetti and the rice and the candy and all that plastic shit and it's kind of gross. So do your part if you're at one of these big parades. Pick up anything that you see laying around, throw it away in a nice receptacle that can be gathered by a helpful college age asshole looking to earn a little bit extra money and help out. Maybe he can get home and actually keep dating that girl that threatened to break up with him if he didn't come home on time. And well, there's that happens. Still, I really like this scene. It shows that, you know, feet are just feet, roller skates, all and above. We all look the same ish from the ankle down. So don't worry about it. Just keep moving. This day in June, we're all united. There's another title drop. It's at the last page. There's a big banner. Someone from every previous page and not that fucking pigeon. It's not there. Looking into your soul. Now that makes me happy. I wonder what was up with that pigeon. It's just weird. little detail that just stuck in my craw. And we end up with a note to parents and caregivers on how to use the book. How to handle various questions from different age children. Once again, this is a super helpful, amazing book especially with such a nuanced and current topic, with such a long and troubled history. I really just dig this book. I think it should be put everywhere. And that's where this episode is going to end. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music, dances and Dames by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0